0: Resurrection Day is what uh, we call this day of the year. Many around the whole world celebrate and most acknowledge Easter. That's the, the day on the calendar. A day that corresponds to the Jewish Passover. The Jewish Passover, so a yearly feast, a yearly celebration. And during the time of the Passover 2,000 years ago is the time when they also crucified God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today, mainly because following the crucifixion of the man and God, Jesus Christ, he was raised from the grave. And nobody in the early church called this Easter. Easter. Not one person called this Easter. You won't find the word Easter in your Bible either, interestingly enough. It's called Easter because of some later unbelieving peoples mixing various beliefs with the Christian faith. Or it potentially comes from an old, old uh, German word referring to the dawn of the morning, maybe. At any rate... It really isn't a, a truly Christian word. It's, it's not a word I, I don't think you should refer to today as Easter. That's something that came later in time, mainly because it, it doesn't mean something to you. What, means, what we mean by it is the Resurrection Day. We're, we're remembering the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So refer to it as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When we call it Easter, it mystifies it takes away the gravity and the seriousness of what it means that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave after he was executed at the behest of the Jews and, and under the military might of Rome. We are people of the book. If you're a Christian, you are a people of the book. It's not called Easter. It is the day of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary Magdalene, on the third day... She was the first one to have discovered the empty tomb. And in her confusion, honestly, in her uncertainty of what had been happening, she ran to go and tell the disciples of Jesus that the tomb was empty. And Resurrection Day is namely two things that we're going to think about and remember this morning. We're going to focus on a couple things. One, the crucified Messiah the crucified Messiah who was put to death while the Jews celebrated the Passover. We'll contemplate that a little bit. And then his resurrection on the third day. His resurrection is the vindication of the preaching and the message of God and his Christ. The resurrection is the vindication of the gospel. No resurrection, no Christian hope for eternal life. No resurrection, no faith that is distinct from any other faith in the world. This is the distinction of the Christian hope, is Christ raising from the grave. And this is why you should call it Resurrection Day. You can witness to somebody calling it Resurrection Day. You can't say much except for maybe talk about bunnies and eggs if you call it Easter. And neither of those things have anything at all to do with the gospel, do they? No, they don't. Let's think for a moment about the death of Christ. A few minutes ago, we were reading from John chapter uh, 19, from right around verse 12. We read a, a few verses about some of the trial of the Lord Jesus before Pilate. Chapter 18, verse 38, and chapter 19, verse 9, of John, Pilate had declared Jesus' innocence twice in those places, In other words, the the trial had no evidence by which you could convict Jesus of some wrong. They had no tangible legal means by which to have executed him. But this is exactly what they did. Pilate confirms his innocence. So why was he executed? It's a very, very crucial thing in understanding the gospel and understanding Resurrection Day. Why was the Lord Jesus executed? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's got a verse in it. I'll give you a moment to get there. Hopefully, you're you're handy finding your way around the Bible. Got a few references we'll be looking at today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Some of you will know the verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He, God the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin. I was emphasizing to you a moment ago the innocence of the Lord Jesus. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin. So that in Him, the believer, might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christians learn by the Gospel that your hope is by your being in the Lord Jesus because Jesus is the righteous one Jesus is the Savior Christ is the reason we would have hope to survive the day of the coming judgment the Son of God took sin on himself and so the death of the Lord Jesus is a sinner's death this is why the Lord Jesus had to be executed And yet, he gave his life freely. He gave his life freely so that he could pay the price that men couldn't pay themselves without having to go to hell. Do you believe that all men sin and all men will face the judgment of God someday? Do you believe that there's a day of judgment coming in the future for all men? This is the future. The scary thing about the future is, is you you don't know the hour or the moment of anything that's going to happen tonight or tomorrow. There's a day called the day of judgment in the scripture. The day of judgment comes. Lord Jesus came to die because all of us are dying. The two ways to die we're going to think about here for a moment. Every man is dying. This is one of the stunning things that that the Scripture brings to light. And and very quickly, you and I learn to not think about dying. Men don't want to think about it. It's scary. You, You don't know what it feels like. You don't know when it's going to be. You don't know what it's going to be like to lose all of your consciousness and to be dead. But death is certain. It is the certain thing. And it is a certain thing of many jokes, isn't it? People joke about your taxes and about your dying. In in a way, it's almost criminal to to make such light of dying. Because it's so permanent. You're going to die. And you don't know when you're going to die. There are two ways of dying that the Scripture speaks about and that the Lord Jesus preached about. You can die in your own sin... And you can go to a Christless eternity. Lord Jesus spoke about what it would be like to go to hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. People who die in their sins. That's one way of dying. The other way is to die to your sin. To die to your sin with Christ and live. You can die to your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ and, and you can live the trial of Jesus was an unjust trial, and it magnifies the innocence of the Lord Jesus. The trial will help you even on a, on a cursory level, on a shallow level. You look at the trial and you realize the innocence of the Lord Jesus. The death of Christ is the real death that God requires for sinners. When when you realize that at the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus is put to death, this is how men understand what God intends for sinners. Some men want to think, they would rather think, God won't really punish people with death for sin. That just seems too cruel, too harsh. Bring your mind and your thinking to the cross. What is the cross about except for God's intent to judge sin? This is what takes place on the cross. Don't say that God isn't going to punish sin. You've already seen it once on the cross. The, the cross in Rome is not in doubt or a question of history. It, you, you may deny it, but that doesn't deny the, the reality of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. The death of Christ on the cross is the real death God requires for sinners. And He died because sin requires death. He died because sin requires death. The book of Hebrews at 9.22, if you take notes and you want to look at some of these things or if you want to follow along with me, but there's a there's a well-known verse here in Hebrews 9.22 that speaks about the shedding of blood and the remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. This is God's law. It's a rule. This rule governs life on earth. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is why Christ had to die. There must be death for sin. Look with me at God's judgment of sin at John 19.25. That's where we stopped reading a moment ago. We've been reading the trial. We've been reading about how the soldiers distributed the clothes of the Christ among themselves. So we pick up again here in verse 25, John 19:25, And I want you to think about God's judgment for sin. There stood by the cross of Jesus' his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, that, that's John, it's a reference to John. He saw his mother and and John standing there, whom he loved. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Look there at John. This is your son, John. And there's John hearing the words of Christ on the cross. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. John. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And the Lord Jesus spoke for her care because he wouldn't be around to care for his mother from that point. And after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. Hmm, what are those things? What, what is it that had been accomplished and fulfilled that had been written about from the beginning of the ages, even in the book of Genesis in chapter 3? That the Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, a reed, put it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He said, Tetelestai. It is paid in full. It is a reference to the debt. Of sin being paid for on the cross. The word is tetelestai. It's a a word that a Greek businessman would write on on a receipt at the completion of a transaction, meaning paid in full. It's done. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And the Christ, the Christ is the one who said paid in full. The Lord Jesus Christ said it was paid in full. This is the death of sinners. He dies on the cross. Just outside of Jerusalem. And he paid sins, death, debt. But bearing other men's sin. The Lord Jesus doesn't die bearing his own sin if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 with me. The Lord Jesus, very, very clearly in the report of the disciples, helps you and I understand the reality of the sinlessness of Christ and the sinfulness of sinners and the reality of the importance of Christ's death for sinners. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, and it's, speaking, it is, it's Peter speaking about the Lord Jesus. 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body. Our sins, the, the sins of those believing in the Lord Jesus. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, listen carefully, we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. That's a loaded sentence. That is a loaded sentence. It goes deeply in what it means to believe in the sinner's death of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ died bearing man's sin so that men who would be dead to sin could live for righteousness. That is also a hard sentence. Putting your faith in Jesus as a Savior means you are not going to live for sin. Because you die to sin when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus. We'll go into just a little bit more depth into this. But continue in the book of John from verse 31 now. Chapter 9 and verse 31. We're going back to John. Peter just helps remind and affirm the fact that the death of the Christ is not for his sin. The death of the Christ is for sinners. And their sins are placed on the Christ. And his death is for sinners. Therefore, back in John chapter 19 and verse 31, we carry on. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Now, there's another, there's a, there's a religious holy day taking place now, and and the Jews required that, if I can just say it broadly, the the environment should be free from unholy distraction. And so they don't want people on crosses on the preparation day. They want to remove the bodies from the crosses so they can go on with this other day. That's what's being referred to here. It was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. This is a way of assuring the execution of the criminals goes quickly. Dying on the cross was a long, uh, horrible, excruciating, time consuming process, and the person on the cross dies of suffocation. And when you would break the legs of these persons on the cross, that would make it impossible for them to extend their torso and take a breath in and breathe. And so when the legs are broken, the agony of their legs and the weakness of their legs makes them die faster. And so the Jews said, just go break their legs. Let's get the death over with and make sure we can get on with our holy day. Verse 32, the soldiers came, broke the legs broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear just to make sure, maybe just out of spite. Pierces his side with a spear to fulfill prophecy. Who knows why the soldier thought he would do this, but this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Keep reading with me. Immediately blood and water came out, and he who has seen has testified. The one who saw this is speaking. The one who saw this is writing, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you may believe. He's saying this because this is a fulfillment of prophecy. So many things happened that day which had been written about hundreds of years earlier. The death of the Christ had been spoken about since the very first event in recorded history of mankind in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And he writes, so that you may believe, for these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken, which is a reference from Exodus chapter 12. And the Passover lamb, which is the the sacrifice that the Jews would make on the night of the Passover, they would kill the lamb. They would put the blood over the doorposts. They were not allowed to break any of the bones of the lamb. The the non-broken bones of the Christ were a fulfillment of the fact that He is the Passover. He is God's Passover. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And another scripture says there in John, they shall look on Him whom they have pierced, which is from Psalm 22. And if you make a note to yourself, you might read Psalm 22 this evening. There are a number of references to the crucifixion. Of Christ in Psalm 22. Christ died. It was a real death, and he was placed into a real tomb. And this is a, just of massive importance because God judged sin on his own son that day. God put his own son to death that day. The Lord Jesus Christ died a real sinner's death that day. And I want to show you another death. In the scripture that portrays a sinner's death, we're going to look at the book of Jonah. Way back there in the Old Testament, turn to the book of Jonah, please. It's one of the minor prophets, so it's toward the end of the Old Testament. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. We're going to learn about Jonah and rebellion, we're going to learn about Jonah and death. So there's a sinner's death, which I referred to a few minutes ago, the sinner's death, and actually the Lord Jesus dies a, a sinner's death. In a sense here, we're going to look at Jonah's life and death as well. Jonah knew God, of course. We, we know that he is, in, in some senses, a, a religious man. And yet, it's interesting because I believe what we find in the prophet, or in the, in the book of Jonah... He had never really died to himself and he had never really lived to God. He he was a man who understood probably some of the the the, the, the primacy of God. That is, he he would have said that God is God, right? I, I believe he was a man who probably would have taken some kind of comfort in God's power. He would have he would have appreciated the fact that God was maybe for him, but he had never given himself completely to God. I I don't really think he'd ever truly trusted and and made himself a servant of God. And so Jonah would die in his sin. And we're going to see this very fascinating about Jonah. Jonah chapter one, verse two, he hears God speak to him as the prophets were like to do. And he's God says to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh and and Tarshish are utterly completely different areas. He goes down to the seaside in Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah pictures a man who knows God's right to call men to do what he wants and yet Jonah behaves like men do. Most men have a sense maybe not every day, most men have a sense that God is the owner. He is the ruler. God is in charge. God is the sovereign. Men know this in their hearts. And yet, most men will do what Jonah does. When they get some sense of of what it is that God wants of a man's life, men usually turn their hearts away from Him. Men usually do not like what it is they hear from Him. And if you don't believe me, read through one of the Gospels this afternoon or tomorrow. And see how many times somebody hears instructions from the Lord Jesus and simply goes and does what he says. Read it yourself tonight and and remember, realize that people don't actually want God to tell them to do anything. And this is what you find in the life of Jonah right here. What does Jonah do when God says go and preach to the people in Nineveh? He says give me the first boat going in the opposite direction. He behaves like men do. He knows God's will and he is not interested. And so we, I believe, we should have to conclude Jonah is not saved here. He's not a believer here. How do you know? He does what he wants. He doesn't do what God wants. At this point in his life, we see Jonah like all other men. Jonah may claim to know God. But he has no fruits of repentance, no no love of God, no fear of God. Faith without a fear of God, faith without service to God. According to James chapter 2, 17, faith without works is dead. This man knows what God wants. Does he do what God wants? No, he has no faith. He's a faithless man. Knowing God's name or saying you know what his word is doesn't make you a disciple. It doesn't make you his friend. Saying you have a Bible, reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. It's a great picture of an unbelieving man. Jonah knows God's will, but he will not walk in it. He's a man who, according to the rule of faith, must die in his sin. Remember what gets quoted both in Romans the just shall live by faith is a quotation from the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. The just shall live by faith. My righteous one will live by his faith is what it says in Habakkuk. Actually, if you looked at Habakkuk two, four, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. The just living by his faith is not like the proud. Jonah is proud. Jonah does not live by faith. Therefore, he's doomed to die. He's a rebel. He lives by his own rule. He does not live by God's rule. We're going to see and think for a moment about Jonah's sleep and about Jonah's death. Rebellion always ends in death. Men who hear the call of God on their heart and on their lives will die a sinner's death. Sin and rebellion always ends in death. And it usually, it very often ends in the harm of others along the way. The the one who chooses to walk in his own way is ignorant of the harm he is causing to others. And he doesn't care of the harm that he is causing to others. Men turning away from God rarely deny He exists. Men who decide to do their own thing, they don't say there's no such thing as God. They just decide to do what they want and ignore Him. They find other ways of, of seeking contentment and satisfaction in their lives and they choose their own paths and they make their own lives. And they forget about God and they drift They drip slowly over time into perilous circumstances. This is what happens to men who turn their hearts and their backs away from God. And most men will only die in their sin. Very few men will die to themselves and live for God. Very few will choose to hear and believe God and repent of their sin and walk with the Lord. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. The mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. This is interesting because these guys were like real sailors, and the storm was so intense that, that they were afraid, and they began to plead each one to his own God to help and save them. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had lain down and he was fast asleep. Isn't it amazing? Maybe the one guy on the ship who actually knows who God is in truth is asleep down in the lowest part of the ship. He would know who to turn to for hope. And yet he's actually Oblivious and and, and aloof toward God's power and God's ability to help. He's asleep. He's taking a nap. Unconcerned with the thing that God had called him to. Completely numb to God's calling on his life. And meanwhile, while he is taking a nap, many on the boat are close to dying with Jonah because of his hard heart. Verse 6, the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Isn't it interesting? They know that he is some kind of a man of God. They they know him as a self-interested and lazy sleeping man, not a man concerned with the fate of the lives of those on board. They you know he, he has a God. Do you? Are, are you a person who knows the name of God, claims the name of God, and then you sleep, and you're unwilling and unable to help those who need it? Or, are you a person like Jonah? You know the name of the Great Saviour. You know the true God. You know the true Messiah, and you sleep while people battle the storm and are ready to die in the storm unwilling to intervene for them. Jonah is exactly like this. Verse 7 says, They said to one another, Come, let's cast lots that we may know for sure. We may know whose cause this trouble has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Do you know, people... Do, 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 do you folks here with me this morning, do you know people who are, are wrapped up, tied up in the circumstances of our politics and our viruses and our social problems in the world, and yet they say nothing to warn anybody to prepare for the coming day of the Lord? Jonah, Jonah's awake, and he's, he knows the storm is the end of them all. What does he say? He, he says almost nothing. He says, oh, I, I fear the Lord, but he disobeys the Lord. He's completely heartless in regard to the peril that these men face on this ship. It's about to go down. Do you know our ship is going down here in America? Here in California? Do you realize our ship is going down? In a sense, I think that should bother all of us. What is the real bother? What is the real thing that should be in our hearts? The day of judgment is coming. The day of your death is coming. So many people are like Jonah. They say they fear the Lord, but they won't say one thing to point anybody to the way of life. Jonah disobeys him care less about the need of the people in Nineveh or the people on these ship while the judgment of God gets more and more intense each day every man will face the judgment of God and the end the end of this age comes, it just comes like, like the ticking second hand on a clock, it just gets closer every second, the day comes and the end comes and you know what Increasing affliction is for? Do you know what viruses are for? Do you know what wars in Ukraine are for? Do you know what autoimmune deficiency from vaccines is for? Do you know what it's for? It's meant to drive you to the Creator, it is meant to cause you to seek the Lord. With all this chaos and, and fearful things happening in our world, it's meant to cause people to fear death and wonder, what is the point of life? What are we here for? If you fear the Lord, then you should teach others to fear the Lord in truth so that they don't perish. If you fear the Lord, you shouldn't be doing what Jonah's doing. You should be praying saying, Lord, help me not a to witness to these people. Come, me know what to say to them because the end is coming. I don't want to be like Jonah. Teach others to fear the Lord. Give yourself to discipleship in your church. Participate in the only organization God has created to train and, and make disciples. And be ready. Be ready with the word of truth. Be ready to point people to the way of life. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. Listen to what happens in Jonah's mind and in his heart at this point. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that the great tempest is because of me. There's a change in his heart here. He's realizing the weight of what's happening to him at this moment, and he realizes that his sin is going to cost these people on the ship their lives. And he knew he had to face God, he had to deal with whatever it was that his unbelief wasn't willing to deal with. And so his first step seems to be to pity these people on the ship. He says, throw me overboard and you will live. I think it's so interesting that he doesn't launch himself off of the edge of the boat here. I don't know if he was afraid to or it was too high. Who knows? But he wants them to do it to him. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. They could not. The sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. And they said, we pray, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. We could preach another sermon or two on these last few verses here, but this is an amazing thing. These seamen, they saw and they feared the authority of God because of Jonah's testimony now. And they wanted to protect Jonah from death. They didn't want to kill Jonah. They didn't want to throw him overboard. To throw him in the water meant his death, and they feared that for Jonah. They knew that this was Jonah's death. But they had to throw him to his death. And God did rescue them. And Jonah sank. And I think it's fair to say that he sank into his own grave. And he died because of a sin. We know because at least most of us, I'd say, know the story of Jonah. If you don't know the story, he doesn't die. But asking the, the men on the ship to throw him overboard is saying, put me to death. My life is over, and I'll, I'll I'll give it for your sakes. Is is the essence of what is happening for Jonah at this point, and he sinks, and he sinks into his grave, and he dies because of his sin. and And just remember, just see here, all sinners will die. All sinners will die. Some sinners will repent of their sin, and they will turn to God, and they will hope in forgiveness. And they will be ready to serve the Lord. Some people will do that. So let's look at just for a moment about Jonah's rebellion and his death. His rebellion to God is like all men's rebellion to God. And when he's thrown into sea and he is dying, it's just crystal clear the wage of sin is death. Romans chapter 6. Or Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible over and over again teaches men the consequence of sin. And here is Jonah dying in his sin. It is the unavoidable, inescapable reality of life. You will die. Because this is a law. It's a law governing all of mankind. The death of sinners is an entry into the realm of eternal suffering. The Lord Jesus talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who would go away into the rest of eternity without forgiveness and without Christ. They will die in their sins. But there is another kind of death, and this is the death actually that Jonah dies. There is another death. It is to die to yourself, it is to repent of your sin. And it is to live to God. It is to serve the Lord with a hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And Jonah pictures this kind of life. Jonah is one of the great men because he repents of his rebellion. Look at verse 17 now. Jonah 1.17. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, which was a large fish. He was truly, indeed, Swallowed by this large fish. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from the fish's belly. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice out of the belly of Sheol means out of the belly of the place of the dead. Jonah sees himself. He knows himself as a dead man. Very few men have the chance to pray when they're dead. There's really no hope for life here, but he's praying when there is no hope of life. And he says, you, God, heard my voice. Verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. You cast me into the deep, not the men on the ship. Into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all of your billows and your waves passed over me. Now, listen carefully at what the prayer of a repentant, dying man sounds like. What is a man who is dying? What does a repentant man pray like? Verse four. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Here is a man who has faith in the next life. His repentant hope is to see God's dwelling place. He says, I will look again toward your holy temple. He believes in the hope of life. Verse 5, the water surrounded me, even in my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord. He has a present hope. Men who are dying in their sins have a present hope. They have a present hope of life and rescue from God himself. He says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. God hears his prayer. He believes God hears his prayer. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Now, idols are the objects of your help. The things you believe are your help. It's money. It's medicine. It's riches. It's whatever things give you pleasure and give you help and hope. These are the idols. And he says those who regard idols forsake their mercy. God is the only hope for true mercy. God is the only hope for true life. Don't love idols. He says those who regard these idols forsake their mercy. But I, he says, and you and I can pray this with him, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. His offering will be his thanks. His offering will be his praise. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah into the dry land. How does Jonah hope for life after death? And how can he hope for God's forgiveness? How does he know to hope in this? How does he know to think like this? This is the point of the resurrection. This is the point of the resurrection for you and I on this side of the cross, This is what we know is the hope of a person who has put their trust in Christ. His hope of life after death is in the resurrection. The man who will repent, the man who will submit to God can hope in the life of God. They can hope in eternal life because God Himself is the one who dies in the sinning man's place on the cross You remember, Job said, I know my Redeemer lives. These Old Testament men knew and believed that their Redeemer lives. Believing men know that God would pay sin's penalty. Believing men know that God would forgive them of their sins and that they would live forever. Christ's death ends in resurrection. When Jonah repents, his sin is effectively put on Christ, although Christ wouldn't die for many, many years to come. The Messiah dies a sinner's death. The Messiah dies a sinner's death, so the sins of Jonah are placed on Christ at that point in time and the sinner can live unto God. When the sinner's sins die with Christ on the cross, the sinner becomes the property of God and the sinner becomes the servant of God as he has put his faith in God the Savior. Jonah believed the same way Abraham believed. As Abraham took his son Isaac to be sacrificed on the mountain, the son says, Father, where is the sacrifice? And what does Abraham answer to the son? He says, God will provide for Himself the lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide the lamb. When John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ the first time, what did he say? He said, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Jonah's sins placed on Christ, God's lamb. Some men believe, some believe God's threat of death and they hope in His offer of life by the Lamb of God. We're going to start reading now in Luke chapter 23 and we're going to look at the resurrection for a moment. Some men will believe in God's threat of punishment of death and then they will hope they will believe in His offer of life given by the Lamb. So from Luke 23 and verse 44, read with me please. I'm going to read about the resurrection. It was about the sixth hour. I'm reading from verse 44, Luke 23:44. It was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw it happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, they beat their breasts and they returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed after him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and a just man, had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea. The city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. The man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now the first day of the week, next chapter very early in the morning which is Sunday the first day of the week very early in the morning that Sunday they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this that behold two men stood by them in shining garments then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth they said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he is not not here, but he is risen. Remember how we spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb and told all of these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus at this point in time is the greatest vindication of all time. It is the greatest vindication. It is, it is the in a sense, it is the judgment of Christ. It is a judgment of God for men. What, what, what does God think about the preaching and the life and the claims of the Lord Jesus? He lets him conquer death. He raises him from the grave. There's no man who has risen from the grave. It means death for sin is real. Death for sin is real. It means hope for real life after death is real in Christ. It means your sins, if they are gone unforgiven, will die a sinner's death. But if your sins are forgiven and you are in Christ, you can rightly expect to live and have eternal life. So let's think just for a moment here about being dead to sin and alive to God. When Christ leaves the grave, Christians understand a principle in the Christian life The Lord Jesus died because of men's sins. And so we as Christians, you who have put your faith in Christ, or maybe you never have, but what it means to believe in him means to believe in the Lord Jesus and die to sin in Christ, with Christ. The Lord Jesus rises victorious over death. So we live free from the condemnation of death as a believer. When you repent of your sin and put your trust in Christ, the death that you must die for your sin has already been died in Christ. Now, what we see is Jonah died to his life of rebellion. Now, this is a really helpful thing in the life of Jonah. When Jonah goes down into the sea, when he sinks into the sea in his death and sin, the fish puts him up on the shore. I believe the scripture said vomited him up on the shore. And Jonah lives again. Jonah is no longer dead. He's actually alive. He's been given another life. He's been humbled. He's been forgiven. And he now is a man who, because of his belief and fear of God, because of his knowledge of the obligations on his life, he is prepared to serve the Lord. You know, he didn't like his service. When he began preaching, he didn't love the people of Nineveh. He didn't like them. Read the book of Jonah this afternoon. He despised them. Why does he go and preach to them? Because he's a servant of God. He's been given life after death. He's died in his sin. He's been raised a new creature. He's a picture of a Christian. Why does he do what he's done? Because he is an obedient servant of God. He has been given new life. He rises and he preaches. And when they repent and believe, what does he think about that? He's actually mad. Do you remember the story of Jonah? He doesn't like it that they got saved. He doesn't like Ninevites. He doesn't think they should be saved. But what is Christian about him? He honestly is a saying, you know what? God's going to save them. I'm, uh, I just have to obey the Lord. I, I'm the Lord's servant. I have been given new life for a reason. The Christian life is not yours. The Christian life is God's life. And so what does Jonah do? He's given new life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. If you were Jonah, you would say, I have drowned in the sea of the death of my sin. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me. The just shall live by faith. Those, those who are declared righteous in God's eyes live by faith. And this is what Jonah does. Jonah isn't doing his, his dream job preaching to the Ninevites. What is he doing? He is serving the Almighty who has forgiven him of his sin. Christ lives in me, it says in Galatians 20, in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The death of Christ is the death substitute for sinners. and the life of Jesus, his resurrection is the vindication of his preaching. It's the vindication of the truthfulness of his sonship and his right to judge and, and the Lord Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore, to all the world, as you are going, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is because they've been given new life from their death. Just, just as Jonah is raised to a servant's life, a, a Christian is raised to a servant's life, making disciples, teaching them. Lord Jesus finally in, in Ephesians 4 says He has given gifts to the church. Now he, Matthew 28, where we're told to go make disciples. If, if you don't know how to make disciples, you, you must learn to make disciples. You learn it in church. God has given to the church, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, to equip the saints. You can't become an equipped disciple maker out of a church. You don't know how. So, if God has raised you from the waters of your death, if God has given you life from the grave, and you come out of the grave a new creature, born again, you have a job. You have a job. You yourself, you are committed as as disciples in God's church. You, you, You must be in God's church. You must know what what it is He's called you to. He hasn't called you to just do your own thing. Jonah, chapter 3, speaks about the the new life of a Christian. Speaks about a person who believes in in the life to come. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. He tells him the second time in chapter 3, verse 1 arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach the message. What does he say now? What, is, what does Jonah think of this now? What does a man think who has been given life after his death? What do you think? When you think about your condemnation and your sin and the hell you deserve, and you're given new life in Christ, what do you think? What do you do when the Lord Jesus Christ says, Go and make disciples in the nations? What do you think when He says, I have given you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Be equipped. Make disciples. What do you think when He says that? If you think, meh, I don't have time. Well, then you're like Jonah pre-death. You're like Jonah running off to Nineveh or off to Tarshish. You're asleep down in the hull of your ship. It's not what he's called people to. It's not what the Christian life is. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it the message I will tell you. So Jonah rose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Why did he just? He, he, he just did it. He just obeyed. Why? Because he's not his. The redeemed have been purchased. Precious blood of Christ. They've been made heirs. They've been given the rights of sons. If you've put your trust in Christ, you are sons and daughters of God, and you are not your own. You've been redeemed at a great, great cost. And you're servants of the living God, saved by the grace of God. Jonah goes to preach. And Nineveh is an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. And he began entering the city on the first day. And he cried out, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast, and put sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Did Jonah believe? Is Jonah a believer? Absolutely. He put his hope and his, his, his trust in, and his belief in God, who has the right to call men to do what he wants to call them to. And he became a servant of the Lord. Jonah became a servant of the Lord. John is a picture of a man who's been given a new birth. He's a picture of a man who is dead in his sins and given new life. The reason this message has any weight for you and I is because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The preaching of the gospel. And the promise of death for rebellious sinners and the offer of life for those who would trust in Christ is all verified in the resurrection of Christ. There is no historian, there is no witnesses that have ever brought to bear any evidence to deny the resurrection. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that speak of beyond five hundred witnesses of the resurrected Christ. You know what that means? It means this is the gospel message of truth. This this isn't my opinion or my theory. This is the gospel. This is the reality governing the world, governing your life. And you get the joy of being at peace with the Savior. You get the joy. of of serving Him and His favor, being heirs, being His sons and daughters. It's the greatest privilege on planet Earth. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I hope that you are one who really does believe that the death of Christ is a sinner's death and His resurrection is for servants, that we might have hope to leave our hope in Him and to walk with Him. Let's pray for a moment. Mighty God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the incredible, death-defeating moment of the resurrection, dear God. Oh, how we we love You, Lord. We love Your selfless Sacrifice. We love it that by your grace, you've paid sinners' debt. And we praise you in the name of our great Savior. Amen. We got a song to sing together here. Randy, would you cue that up, and we we'll...